open your Bibles with me to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. I mentioned to you last week that at the fair, I had the chance to lead a group of young men to the Lord, high schoolers. There was a young man named Justin, and I led him to the Lord. And after I was done, I asked him if he had any questions. And he asked this, what's heaven like? 16-year-old young man, what is heaven like? How do you answer that question? You know, the Bible doesn't really tell us a lot about what heaven is like. And I think if we knew what heaven was like, that we wouldn't want to be here anymore. And so I think that God, of course, in His infinite wisdom, has limited our understanding of that. And yet, what I want to do this morning is, when He asked me that question, immediately I was reminded of a sermon by a a great Baptist preacher from the 1800s named Alexander McLaren. McLaren was a pastor in London. He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. And he preached a sermon called The Thirst, The Thirst. And I guess it's 15, almost 20 years ago that um, I did my best to communicate that sermon to you here. And I'm going to try it again this morning because... Of all the things that I've read my entire life, I think that this, it best expresses um, our human condition and the beauty of heaven. It best expresses it uh, more than any other thing that I've ever read. And, you know, myself, I am, I'm the logical teacher, point by point by point. And McLaren was a real wordsmith. And if I could ever say something about the human condition and about what heaven does for that. I would say it the way McLaren does. So this morning, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to communicate this to you, and I'm going to be reading some from McLaren's sermon. Now, recently in a, in a discipler meeting, I actually recommended that our disciples read this, and I think some of you may have the actual, the, the full text of it. But I'm hoping that this is a blessing to you today, because even as I reviewed it to communicate it to you, Man, it just, it just fills my heart. And sometimes, have you ever, someone's explaining something to you and your light just comes on. That's why it's like that. That's it. And this sermon by McLaren that he preached over 100 years ago, it did that for me. So I'm going to try and communicate some of that to you this morning. Look at Psalm 42. The Bible says, as the, verse 1, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, all of us have longings, all of us have desires. And today, we're going to get some of those things defined. And so, Lord, I pray that I'm able to communicate it well. And Lord, I pray that uh, your people are able to receive it well. Lord, help us to leave here with a better understanding of who we are and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, all of us have desires. And so I, I guess I could ask it this way. What do you long for? What do you long for? Some of the young men right now are longing for lunch. 
right? What, what are you longing for? Have you ever had a deep desire? When you're all alone and you dream, what do you dream for? A new house, a new car, a better figure, a new job, having children, having grandchildren. All of these things can be real desires. And then what do you need for your existence? What do you need for existence? Food, water, shelter, clothing. We would agree that those are the basics. Is that right? And yet God created us to need something much more. These are our innermost and most basic longings, but there's something missing. What's interesting about Psalm 42 is that David has been run away from his kingdom, run away from his throne by his own son, Absalom. We printed in the Ancient Baptist Journal a sermon about Absalom called A Fast Young Man Treed. A fast young man treed. If you remember, Absalom had beautiful hair. I can just picture Absalom going. <laughs> you know, he had this beautiful flowing hair. And that hair got him in trouble, didn't it? His writing got hung up in a tree, hanging in a tree by his hair. But during that time, David was run from his kingdom. And when you read the psalm, David is not longing for the pleasures of the palace. He's not longing for his own bed. He's not longing for the things that his, that his kingship has brought him. He's longing for God. And he's longing to worship God in the house of God. Now, we can worship God anywhere. Isn't that a blessing? Now, those of us who are saved, we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. We have Jesus Christ in us, and we are in Him, as we talked about in the Sunday school hour. And what that means is that now I can come boldly to God's throne. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go to a temple. I can pray to God through God the Father, through God the Son, anytime and all the time. And as a matter of fact, the Bible does say pray without ceasing. So I can do that any place and every place. Isn't that wonderful? You don't have to come to church to worship God. But coming to church is a part of our worship of God. We're commanded to do it. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. And so much the more as we see the day approach. The day of the return of Jesus Christ is approaching. And we are to come together more and more and worship Him together corporately. And yet, you don't need Grace Baptist Church to worship God. David did need the temple to worship God in the complete way. He had to do that. They had to make the sacrifice. He had to come to the temple in order to be able to worship. And the thing that David thirsted for as the heart, the deer, panteth for the water brooks. So where we live out on 47, we have a herd of deer that live in our backyard, up in the woods and all around us. And that whole neighborhood, there are deer all over the place. And about sundown, you see all these deer they make their way down to the street and they cross the street to go over to the river to drink. And many of them don't make it. Every once in a while I'll call somebody, hey, there was a deer just killed. Do you want some meat? And so sometimes somebody will come and get a deer and eat it. I mean, not right there on the side of the road. I think they, <laughs> they take it. And Tristan Divins picked it up one time. I could just picture him just burying his burying his face in the deer and just start eating. Can you just picture Tristan doing that? Where's Tristan at? He must be in the back. As the deer panteth, or as the heart panteth for the water brooks, so my soul, look at what it says, so my soul, verse, verse 2, my soul thirsteth for God. 
What do you long for? What are you thirsting for? George MacDonald. George MacDonald is the man that uh, influenced C.S. Lewis to examine Christianity. And he said, oh, he wrote this, Oh God, I said, and that was all. But what are the prayers of the whole universe more than expansions of that one cry? It is not what God can give us, but God that we want. Oh, God. Have you ever been in a place in your life when that's all that you could cry? When you knew that you had a need and you needed God desperately and you didn't even know how to pray, all you could do was just look and say, Oh, God. And ultimately, that is the cry of every human's heart, whether they know it or not. So there are three types of thirst for God. We're going to look at that this morning. The first is there is in every man an unconscious and unsatisfied longing after God. Now, I do want to say this. You know, often I try to illustrate a sermon with humor and do everything I can to try and keep your attention. We do live in an entertainment-driven society. Do you all recognize that? This morning, I'm going to ask you to think with me. And you're going to have to think on purpose. I want you to really focus back in the overflow. I know it's difficult to listen to someone read on a television screen. I'm going to be reading some things to you that are profound, and I can't repeat them all for you to get it. So do your best to think with me. And you young people, I really, this, this will help you so much for the rest of your lives. If you guys will listen and, and um, absorb what I'm going to tell you today, there are three longings that people have. The first is there is a longing in every man, an unconscious and unsatisfied longing after God. It is an unconscious and unsatisfied longing after God. This is the state of nature. This is every person is longing for God. There is a desire that they have, but they don't know that they have it. I've heard you say this. I've heard people in the church, you're talking about someone. Have you ever heard someone say this? That person needs God. What they need is God. We have all said it, and that is the state of nature. The leading feature of our daily lives is a state of unrest. An old poet said it this way, Man never is, but always to be blessed. Lord, please bless us. Please bless us. Please bless us. When we know as Christians we have been greatly blessed already, and yet we still need the blessing of God in order to be able to be happy and to be satisfied. We have insatiable appetites, insatiable appetites. The other night, we went to this really nice steakhouse, so Nathaniel and, and Nathan and I. And honestly, I ate enough for about six Ethiopian families. <laughs> it was terrible. No human being should eat as much as I ate that night. I'll have to show you a picture. I had a steak that was about this big, and I, I just ate it all. And it was so good. And I was hungry the next morning. Right? We have appetites. And it doesn't matter how much you eat in one sitting. Wouldn't you think that after you eat a meal like that, you wouldn't need to eat for a week? And you've said that. I don't need to eat for a week. After Thanksgiving, you get done. And you pound that turkey. And you pound those sweet potatoes. And you pound the mashed potatoes. And you pound the apple pie and the rolls. And you eat it all. I, I don't ever need to eat again. About 6 o'clock that evening, you're grazing in the kitchen. You grab some turkey and you grab a roll and you slice that roll and you put some of that cold turkey on there with some salt and pepper and some mayonnaise and you just 
eat and am I right? Anybody getting hungry yet? Does that sound really good? And it's interesting that for food, and, and part of the reason why we have that longing for food is that we need it to survive. And yet our spirit is just as hungry. And many times, if you could picture someone, you know, those of you who have been to the Air Force Museum, or you've probably seen it on television, you see the pictures of those who, have, who are in the, the concentration camps in Germany. And they, they're, just, they're just emaciated. They're, they're skeletal figures. They're alive. But you don't know how they're alive. They're so skinny. I think that if we could see with spiritual eyes, some of us, that's what, our, that, that's what we, we would look like spiritually. Just, just hungry and starving. And what we're trying to do, picture one of those people, and they're, they're emaciated and they're skinny. They're, 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 they're dying. And they're trying to eat a rock or they're trying to eat a brick, or they're, they're trying to eat a piece of a tree. But it can't take care of the problem. And we have an entire society, Christian saved and lost, we have an entire society that is longing for God and yet trying to meet and satiate that longing with anything but God. And so there is a thirst in every man, unconscious and unsatisfied. It is a longing for God. The question's been asked, what is the meaning of the ceaseless, gigantic activity that is always going on around us and that we participate in? I'm going to read you what McLaren said right here. The, fact that man, the very fact that men work, the very fact of activity in the mind and life, noble as it is, is still the testimony of nature to this fact, that I by myself am full of passionate longings, of earnest desires, of unsupplied wants, I thirst is the voice of the whole world. Have you ever been, been alone? Now, some of you have a bunch of kids. You're just, you'd love to be alone for a few minutes. I know. Um, and I think in our society, it does get more difficult to be alone and to have quiet. I surround myself with, with noise and with things all the time. I, I listen to things and read and all that at the same time. But at times when it's just me and I have eaten and I have a loving family around me. I have a beautiful home. I have really a satisfying career, all of those things. I have a nice truck. I have golf clubs. I have literally, I have everything that any person could ever need and much more than any person could ever demand. I have all of that. And yet there are times in the quiet when I am just dissatisfied. Y'all know the feeling that I'm talking about? Just dissatisfied. That is the state of nature. That is all of us. Now, I will say this. Some of us have larger appetites than others. There are some people that are more easily satisfied. I love to quote Winston Churchill, and I would agree with him. I am easily satisfied with the very best. And yet, some people don't need the very best to be satisfied. They just have a few things that they want. And yet, when their needs are filled and they're thankful, yet there is still a certain dissatisfaction in the spirit. I thirst 
is the voice of the whole world. Another word that you could use for it is unrest. There was a, a nonconformist preacher, that is, that he was a preacher in England when the Church of England was the state church, it still is, but they had to be ruled by them, and uh, he became a Presbyterian. His name was Matthew Henry. I know that many of you have heard of him. He said this, Living souls never can take up their rest anywhere short of a living God. Let me say that again. So good. Living souls can never take up their rest anywhere short of a living God. When you look at the Middle East, you look at the Middle East and all of the dissatisfaction that is taking place in the Middle East, and ultimately you know that, that is the, that's the root of it, right? They don't like the way the world is. They've got to make the world in their own image, and the image, once they have it, is so horrible they can't stay there. And the problem is they're not worshiping a living God. They're worshiping a dead prophet. As much as they talk about Allah, they are worshiping the dead prophet Muhammad. Living souls never can take up their rest anywhere short of a living God. In other words, no man was created to be satisfied in himself. You know, you have heard the famous statement, no man is an island. No person is made to be satisfied in himself. For the stilling of our own desires, for the satisfying of our nature, for the strengthening and joy of our being, we need to go beyond ourselves and to fix upon something external to ourselves. And, you know, Buddhism, transcendental meditation, all of that concept of emptying yourself. And that's what transcendental meditation is, yoga, it, emptying yourself. Empty yourself. Where does the Bible ever tell you to empty yourself? The Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Take off the old man, put on the new man. If you Now, there are very many empty-headed people. Would you all recognize that? When I was in college and I'd be dating in Bible college, I, I, if I asked a girl out and on the date, we're sitting there, you know, there on the campus and, you know, having a meal or whatever, and I often said this, sometimes you can look in a girl's eyes and see the back of her head. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about? Then I met Laura and we could actually talk. I was interested in conversation with her. It is interesting. There are a lot of empty-headed people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Christians aren't supposed to walk like Gentiles do in the vanity of their mind. Vanity, what is that? Nothingness. Nothingness. Emptiness. Empty-headedness. That's the world. That's where it is. And what God wants to do, as opposed to these atheistic religions or polytheistic, many God religions, God wants us to be filled with Him to be filled with Him. And our problem is that that's the only thing that can satisfy us. And yet, even as Christians, we often look in every direction but to Him for that satisfaction. And so the state of man is this longing. No man or woman carries within himself the fountain from which he can draw. Isn't that interesting? It's got to come from someone else. If a person's life is to be happy and strong, he must get the foundation of his strength from, from somewhere else than in his own soul. Now, this is an interesting thought. We are beings. Is that right? We're, that we are, and we are sentient beings. That is that we are self-aware. We know that we exist. We know that we have a need. We know that we have longings. You know, you look in your dog's eyes and they have longings, yet attention and food. That's it. Cats, you have no idea what they want. No idea. I've often thought that the best name for a cat would be Target. 
You all agree with that? I think that would be, that's not nice at all. And so you look at these animals, and animals don't have the same kind of desires that humans do. We have desires for something more than just life. We have desires and longings for something much more than that. And they can only be satisfied by something outside of ourselves. Um, McLaren wrote this. No accumulation of dead matter can become the life of an immortal being. I started to say that we are beings, and so the only thing that can satisfy beings is other beings. Things can never satisfy beings. How many of you, when you were young, there's a particular car that you really wanted? Would you raise your hands? Any of you a particular car? And then you see that exact same car about 15 years later. And you're thinking, why did I want that? That ever happened to you? Now, I will say this. If you had a car back in the 60s that you had, how many of you want that car again? You know what I'm talking about? Now it's cool again. I don't think that's going to happen with any of the cars from the 80s. You know, I, I just I don't think that that's going to happen. So here's the thing that's really interesting. This is interesting. When you get that thing, you work and work and work, get it, and then you have it. It's so cool to have it. The only problem is then your desire moves to something else because it's not satisfied. God is the only thing that once you get, it truly satisfies. And it goes on for eternity. Let me finish reading what McLaren said. No accumulation of dead matter can become the life of an immortal being. Two class, the two classes are separated by the whole diameter of the universe. Matter and spirit, thing and person. You cannot feed yourself upon the dead husks that lie there around you. Wealth, position, and honor. Books, thoughts, though they are nobler than these other, are still inefficient. Principles, causes, emotions, springing from truth, these are not enough. I want something more than that. I want something to love, something to lay a hand upon that shall return the grasp of the hand. A living man must have a living God or his soul will perish in the midst of earthly plenty and will thirst and die whilst the water of earthly delights is running all around him. It's just profound. We need beings, not things, and not just any being, we must be focused on one being. McLaren again said this, When a heart is diverted from its one central purpose, when a life is split up in a hundred different directions and into a hundred different emotions, it is like a beam of light passed through some broken surface where it is all refracted and shivered into fragments. There is no clear vision. There is no perfect light. If a man is to be blessed or happy, he must have one source to which he can go. Man, what a great statement. So beings require beings, not things, in order to be satisfied. But what is that one being that we're longing for? We want one being in whom shall be sphered all perfection, in whom shall abide all power and blessedness, beyond whom thought cannot pass, out of whose infinite circumference love does not need to wander, besides whose boundless treasures no other riches can be required, who is light, for the understanding, power for the will, authority for the practical life, purpose for the efforts, motive for the doings, 
and the end and object for the feelings, home of the affections, light of our seeing, life of our life, the love of our heart, the one living God, infinite in wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, who is all in all and without whom everything else is misery. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. That's the thirst that we have in our souls, for something greater than ourselves. So let me ask you a question. Do you know that father? Do you know that being? Is that the one that you are longing for? McLaren said this again. I know this much, that every heart here now answers an amen, if we'll be honest, to what I've been saying. Unrest, panting, desperate thirst, deceiving itself as to where it should go slaking itself at the gilded puddles that the beasts would cough at instead of coming to the water of life. That is the state of man without God. So man, at the beginning, is the state of man is this. There's in every man an unconscious and unsatisfied longing after God. Would you all agree with that? That is where the world is. So that's number one. Number two, there is a conscious longing. A conscious longing, imperfect yet answered. A conscious longing, imperfect yet answered. That's the state of grace. Is there anybody here that's saved today? You're saved. This is the beginning of faith in the person's soul. So as a believer, let me just ask you this. How many of you recognize what I've already been talking about? That there is a longing and a hunger that only God can satisfy, that, that you have recognized. And yet, I think all of us would admit that the fulfilling of it right now is still imperfect. I mean, I can be reading my Bible and there's a, still a longing there. It, it's amazing how, of that ha- how that happens to us. We believe that God is a faithful creator. He makes people with longings and desires, and He's promised to fulfill those things. God said, but my God, or the Bible says in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So the only way that we can ultimately satisfy our soul is to go to the cross, to take everything to the foot of the cross where Jesus Christ paid the penalty for everything that would keep us from having the satisfaction of our souls, the, the only thing our soul desires. Remember this, lost people, people who are not saved, they're not born again, they have that same desire for God in their souls. They just don't know that's what it is. They're always seeking for something. Take yourself to the cross of Christ. Go to the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. What He will do, what God does, and this is part of spiritual maturity, isn't it? God begins interpreting those desires for you. What do I really want? See, here's the problem. If you're looking for complete satisfaction from your husband, he can't give you that. If you're looking for your soul's satisfaction from your wife, she can't give you that. I will say this, though, the the bond of marriage and the relationship that can have, that is God's gift to us that is amazing. What, What God brings to us in a marriage relationship, it is a picture of what Christ has done with the church. It's a beautiful thing, and yet that can't satisfy every longing that you have. Only God can do that. Your soul is thirsting. You're looking up and down everywhere for the springs of water to satisfy your soul. 
I love what the song says. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty saints, uh, stains. Our souls, even though we're saved, are still thirsting for God. And yet we can become so distracted, we don't even realize that's what our desire is. And we need it. It's our thirst. McLaren said, The unfathomed ocean of the Godhead lies far beyond my lip. But here is the channel through which there flows that river of water of life. Here is the manifested God. That's Jesus Christ. Here is the manifested God. Here is the granted God. Here is the Godhead coming into connection and union with man. He wants... The living God. Man wants the living God and wants his living son through his everlasting word. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Thirst. And so, and yet, how many of you would say, since you got saved, there's still a thirst. There's still a, a longing and you find yourself, I, I have these longings and I've said this to myself, Lord, I've got these desires going on. And let me just stop right here. Sometimes because the word desire has grown to mean something illicit, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that there's just a thirst or a longing in you that you don't even really know. You can't even really identify it. I'm just not satisfied. I'm just not... Even as Christians, we have that. And yet we recognize that God is the satisfaction of that. God is the divine and unfathomable ocean. Christ, the Son, is the stream that brings salvation to every man's lips. All wants are supplied there. Take it as a, as a piece of the simplest fact, with no exaggeration about it, that Christ is everything. Everything that a man can want. Now, let me just say this. How many of you recognize that Christ is all? That He really is everything that a man could want? Would you all agree with that? No, seriously, you, you all recognize that. There in the overflow, you recognize that Christ is everything. Amen? He is everything. And yet we still want stuff. That's what I'm talking about. Where we know what the answer is. And yet the satisfaction of it in this world and in this life, it really is imperfect. While He has provided us everything that we need, yet right now we still have desires. Um. Here's, again, McLaren. He said this. We must have a hand laid upon the springs of our conduct, authoritative and purifying, and have the blessedness of some voice say to us, I bid thee, and that is enough. Or the burden of our own self-will will be a misery to us. Let me explain that. I need God to direct my longings. I need God to direct my desires because there are things I want that would bring ruin to me. Listen, even some good things. Even Have you ever heard of a lottery winner that it destroyed their lives? How many of you have heard of that happening? People win the lottery and it destroys their lives. And yet here's what we think. I'd sure like to try. Be honest with you. How many of that's, that, that's your thought? I'd, I'd like to know whether it would, you've had that thought. And yet, almost every lottery winner, it destroys their lives. And here's what they do. They pay people hoping that they can get their life destroyed. No, that's not what they're desiring. What they're desiring is, man, life's hard. And they just want an easier way of it. And that's why the book of Proverbs says, desire not to be soon rich. 
Very interesting, isn't it? It's very interesting. And so, we must have rest, purity, hope, gladness in our souls. And we can only get that from God. Now, let me skip through some of this. So, number one, there is a longing that people have and they don't even know it. There is a longing that we have and we recognize it and yet it's not completely satisfied. And then number three, this is the fun part. There is a perfect longing, perfectly satisfied. That's heaven. There's a perfect longing, perfectly satisfied, and that is heaven. Now you see this is my answering the question that Justin had at the fair. What's heaven like? What is heaven like? Here's what it's like. Perfect longing, perfectly satisfied. Have you ever gotten done eating? And it was so good that you want to eat more, but you just can't. Right? My first cup of coffee in the morning is fantastic. The sixth isn't quite as good. It's interesting. How many of you remember just something? You remember the first time you had it, you ate it, and you thought, this is the greatest thing I've ever eaten. It's just amazing. And then you eat six of them, like Big Macs. You know, I remember the first time I had a Big Mac, I didn't know whether to eat it or rub it all over me. It was so good. <laughs> but you eat three or four of them in a sitting, and it's nasty, right? Here's what, here's what God does. God gives us in heaven, well, here He gives us a, a perfect desire and a perfect longing, and through Christ it can be fulfilled, but there are so many other distractions when we get to heaven, there's perfect longing and perfect fulfillment. Let's describe some of it a little bit. Our supply is truly complete here on earth, even though our desire may not be right. The Christian life here on earth is a very, in a very true sense is a continual satisfaction because we have Christ. In another sense, it's a state of continual longing and desire. The Bible says all creation groans for the return of Jesus Christ. There's that longing that is in creation. Let's, let's just talk about the thirst and, and we'll be done. The thirst that is spoken of here. Look at, back at Psalm 42, verse 1. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So this longing, as a longing, it's eternal. This thirst... It's, it, as an aspiration after God, it is the glory of heaven. And what's interesting is, and I thought of this as I, was, as I was answering it for Justin, what's heaven like? Well, it's just going to be worshiping God. Now, do you realize that that's not much of an attraction to the world? That's interesting. So what is heaven going to be like? It is perpetual worship, perpetual experience in the presence of of God. Now, those who really love the Lord, that's an attractive thing. For people who really love the world, they're thinking, eh, that, that doesn't sound that great to me. You've heard me say that, you know, I, we know that the Lord's going to return. And when I was young, I used to pray, you know, everybody would say that they're praying for the Lord to return. And I remember thinking, man, I want to get married first. Anybody else like that? I want to get married. And then after you're married, you say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. <laughs> That's hilarious. 
it, it, it is so interesting that there are still things that I want to accomplish in this life. Right? You know, I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to go right now. If we, knew, if we really knew what heaven was like, we would say, I just can't wait. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait to be with you. Thirst, as longing, it's eternal. The future life gives us two elements. So this is what heaven will be like. An infinite God. And this is so cool. Listen. An infinite God and an infinitely expansible human spirit. So what does that mean? You have an infinite God to fill us and a soul to be filled to the measure and the capacity of which has no set limit. That's pretty cool. A deep and full fountain filling the whole soul with the refreshment of its waves and music of its flow. I want to read to you from McLaren again right here. This is so cool. At every moment in heaven, we shall be satisfied, filled, full of God, full to overflowing in all our powers. And yet the very fact that the God who dwells in us and fills our whole natures with unsullied and perfect blessedness is an infinite God, and that we in whom the infinite Father dwells are men with souls which can grow and can grow forever will result in this, that at every moment our capacities will expand. That at every moment, therefore, the desire will grow and spring afresh. That at every moment, God will be seen unveiling undreamed of beauty, beauties and revealing hitherto unknown heights of blessedness before us. And that the sight of that transcendent, unapproachable, unapproached, and yet attracting and transforming glory will draw us onward as by an impulse from above, and the possession of some portion of it will bear us upward as by a power from within. And so nearer, nearer, ever nearer to the throne of light, the center of blessedness, the growing and glorifying and greatening souls of the perfectly and increasingly blessed shall mount up with wings as eagles. Heaven is endless longing accompanied with an endless fruition, a longing which is blessedness a longing which is life. McLaren said this, let me put two sayings of Scripture side by side. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. Father Abraham, I send Lazarus that he may, send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his fingers in the water and cool my tongue. So there are two thirsts. First, the longing for God, which is satisfied in heaven, and that's heaven. The second, the longing for the quenching of self-lit fires and for one drop of the lost delights of earth to cool the thirsty throat, which unsatisfied is hell. And then let's finish up with this. Go to Revelation 22. Revelation 22. This has been a message on a little higher level today. A little, a little higher level of thought. The thirst. Revelation 22, 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God, look, and of the Lamb. To us it is shown, and to the whole revelation of God, it converges 
into this last mighty call. Look at verse 17. And the Spirit and the bride, that's the church, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life. What's that last word? Freely. The thirst. There's a thirst that the world has that is unknown and unsatisfied. There's a thirst that the Christian has that is known and yet not completely satisfied. And then there's a thirst that will be in heaven, perfect and righteous and holy desire, ever-growing in desire and longing, and ever-fulfilled in greater glory and blessedness. Isn't that amazing? And so really, ultimately, there are two thirsts that people will have. They will ultimately end up with a righteous and holy thirst for God in heaven or finally a thirst for one little bit of what life gave while they're tormented in hell for eternity. Remember, Lazarus in Luke 16, he was a leper and a beggar and he was shunned from society and the rich man who had ignored God, went to hell, and Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom to be satisfied. And what did the rich man want? Man, let that leper dip his finger in water and soothe my tongue. Can you imagine just screaming for one drop of water for all eternity? Just screaming for it. Or having complete satisfaction, complete and holy desire. And the God who created you, fulfilling that and expanding your ability to experience it every moment throughout all eternity. That's the thirst. That's the thirst. Let's pray. Lord, like McLaren said...